Storehouse Dallas. All right, so I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven leadership lessons for you. And, and I'm breaking this up into two parts, so next week's going to be my second part. And so next week, I'm going to talk to you about after he became king. But don't you know that David displayed incredible leadership qualities before he was ever given an actual title? And even though he was anointed king, he wasn't king. In fact, he was like the opposite of what life as a king would be. All right, so um, first, I want to tell you that there's a difference between God's choice in leadership. God, when he chose Saul, who came before David, for those of you who have read your Bible, um, Saul was first, and the people were living in a time of the judges, and Samuel and his sons were judging the nation of Israel. Judging, that means, hey, I've got a problem. I need somebody to settle this dispute. So they would go to Samuel, and then his sons, and his sons actually were not very well behaved. So anyway, the nation of Israel began to cry out for a king, and the Lord was like, yeah, you don't want a king. You know, he's going to take your money. He's going to take your kids. He's going to, your kids will be his servants. You don't want a king. And they're like, no, 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 no. We really want a king. And he said, okay, well, then I'm going to give you a king. So they cried out for a king. And God said this of Saul. He said, heed their voice and make them a king. And so Samuel the prophet went and he anointed Saul. Saul was this big, tall, handsome Hebrew. He was stately. He would be exactly what you think. He was Thor. <laughs> A Hebrew version of Thor. So of course he's going to be king. Look at him. The guy walks in the room and they said, the Bible says that he was a head taller than everyone else, you know? So everybody knew where he was, no matter how crowded the room was. Oh, there he is, that guy with the head sticking out of the ground. So anyway, he turned out that Saul was actually not a very good king. His heart was to please the people, not to please God. And so God would say, here's what I want you to do. And the needs and the desires of the people would pull on him. And he was afraid of not pleasing the people more than he was in uh, desire to be obedient to God. So God took the kingdom from him. And he, God said this of David. He said, I have provided for myself a king. Now look at the difference there. Heed their voice and make them a king. Whereas with David, God said, I have provided for myself a king. It doesn't have anything to do with the people. I've provided David for me. Because he has a heart after me. And I have provided him for me. And so there was already before, and I think David was like, I don't know, 16, 17 by the time Samuel came to anoint him king. Um, so at this time, it, this was two years before when, when the spirit of the Lord left Saul and he said, I'm taking the kingdom from you. Well, where's David? He's this ruddy little boy. Uh, he's a, what we would call today a tween. He wasn't really even a teen, but God already saw what was working in his heart. 
And he said, that man right there, that's the man that I know that I can trust because I see the heart. And then Samuel's going along and he's looking at all of Jesse's sons. Jesse was Samuel's father. And, he's, and, and he sees all of these stately looking, I think it was Eliab, you know, was the first one, you know, his the brute force, I am brute force, you know. And so, of course, it's going to be Eliab because he's looking at the way it's been, thinking it's the way it's going to be. How many of you think that way? Oh, it's always been this way, so of course the future's going to look like the past. Uh-uh-uh-uh, because there's a sound coming, there's a sound coming, there's a sound coming, and this sound is going to create things that have never been seen before, heaven to earth, get ready, get ready, get ready, it's coming. Oh, man, I wish I could sing. <clears throat> All right, 1 Samuel 8.22, Saul's leadership was marked by pleasing the people, and David's was marked by pleasing and obedience to God. All right, uh, 1 Samuel 13.14 says this, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, again, this statement came before David ever came on the scene. So God was already at work in his heart. God was already connecting with him as he was watching over the sheep. Now, let me tell you a little bit about little David, okay? He had bright eyes. Historians believe that David had blue eyes, which is why they referred to his eyes as bright. He also was ruddy, so he had fair skin, you know? He had kind of the freckly look, and so he didn't look like a typical Hebrew king, you know? or a typical Hebrew man. And so, you know, Samuel's looking at all of these uh, uh, sons that have been presented to him by their father, Jesse. Now, how would you, think about how this goes. Now, if you're in a family and, and the, the man Samuel comes, you know, they're quaking in their boots going, oh, what does this guy want? Because anything this guy said, anything this guy spoke, it happened. Not one word fell to the ground that Samuel spoke. Everything he said happened. So he comes to your house and you're like, <laughs> what is he going to do? Because you don't know. Saul's still, the only one that knows is, is Saul and Samuel that the kingdom's been taken from him. So here he is and he's like, show me your sons. I want to see all of your sons. And so he doesn't even bring David in from the sheep herd. He doesn't even bring him in. He just shows him the big guys, not the little ruddy guy. So Samuel may have had some fatherless issues. Really? Come on, I'm not kidding you. He's the guy that got left out. He wasn't even considered among his brothers. He wasn't even numbered among his brothers. And, and, and he was asked, do you have another? Because he's looking at all these really stately, good-looking guys, and, and Samuel is, and, and he asked Jesse, you know, he's like, this one, this one, this must be him. And the Lord says, no, you judge based on what you see on the outside, but I judge what is on the inside. And he's looking for a heart that's after him. That's part of the Davidic leadership. Those that not an outward gifting, but an inward desire, an inward longing, an inward hunger for God is what he's looking for in this generation. His eyes are seeking the earth to and fro, 
looking for those whose hearts are turned towards him. Uh, so he is calling David for himself. So finally he asked Jesse, Where do you, don't you have another? Do you have another? Because the Lord said, no, 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 no. Do you have another? And, and, and so Jesse's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's down there. He's down there. Listen, the, 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 the sons didn't take care of the sheep. The servants kept, take, took care of the sheep. So he's doing the servant's job. It's the lowliest of the lowliest position is to hang out with those dirty, stinking sheep. But when he was out there, what was he doing? He's out there among the sheep. And even though he's been put in the lowliest position, can some of you relate to this? Even though you're in the lowliest position, he was worshiping the Lord. He was practicing the presence of God. Brother Lawrence. All right, the second part, uh, or the I guess it would be the first part of his leadership. So, da- so, so he gets anointed. David gets anointed king. He gets that that good old oily anointing oil, greasy poured all down his face, right in front of all of his brothers, who quite frankly aren't real happy about this. So we didn't like him before, and now we really don't like him. Okay. Oh, Eliab, we'll get into that as we get into Goliath. But So the first quality of Davidic leadership is that he worships in the secret place. Again, David was worshiping in the place where he was on the backside, in the low place, with the sheep, doing menial work. And so the second Davidic leadership quality is um, that he was set apart by God. So... Uh, in 2 Samuel 5.2, we learn that David was called for the Lord, for the sake of his people Israel. And I'm going to give you a, a few verses in a row here, so hang with me. Um, you can jot these scriptures down. They're all in the Psalms. David said in Psalm 4.3 that he knew what it meant to be set apart for the Lord. So as he's prophesying, but he's also prophesying through his own life. And he's talking about the qualities that he had that, number one, he's set apart by the Lord. David understood that he was set apart for the Lord. He existed to enter into a love relationship with God. He said this, I am for the Lord like lovers that have been set apart for one another. Think about that language. Think about that language when that language had never been used by, for God in, in terms of relationship with God before. Like lovers. That's amazing to me. David understood, this is what David understood, that he was set apart for God himself who is godly. He says the godly one, the one with a yes in his heart, he or she is set apart by God for, uh, by the Lord for the Lord. And that's how he understood his life. That was his life calling. It wasn't, I'm going to be king. It wasn't that. He was like, guys, this is really about a love relationship. I have been anointed by God to be king, but I am connected in my heart before the anointing ever came. 
And so he, that was his life goal. So, so a Davidic leadership is set apart for God, period. Now, the, the next one, Davidic leadership knows that they are loved, and it's the main objective in their life. In Psalm 60, verse 5, and we'll reference this many times, David called himself the beloved just like John the Apostle. And so he understood that he was the one that was God's favorite, and he referred to himself as God's beloved one. And so he knew who he was. He was the one that was loved by God. He was the one that was called by God. He was the one that was anointed by God. He was the one that was set apart for God. So he knew that it was him and God, and he had this love relationship with God. And again, it didn't look this way. It looked like the law for everyone else. Keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, keep the practices of the, of the feasts. Just keep doing all the external stuff. And David introduces an internal reality to an external activity. He says this, oh God, deliver your beloved one. In Psalm 17, 8, he said, oh God, I am the apple of your eye. Hello? He's saying, I know I'm your favorite. I mean, think about that, and think about how John the Apostle was writing this. John the Apostle gets to write his book the way he wants to write his book, right? All the other guys are writing their books, and John's like, okay, I'm going to write my book, and I'm God's favorite. I'm the most beloved one. I'm the one that he loves the most. I mean, think about that. You know, this is going to be the book that you pin for all of history. If it were me, I'd be saying the same thing. I'm going to let everybody know God loves me more than anyone else. Why not? Come on. I know I'm the one that your heart beats for. I'm the apple of your eye. David knows what's going on here. In Psalm 18, 19, he says he knows that he's the one that God delights in. The choice was wrapped up and grounded in a flow of desire from God's heart to David's and from David's to God's. It was that reciprocal thing that was going on and on and on. Okay, next. What number am I on? Anybody? No, I'm on four. All right, so number one, David worships in the secret place. Number two, David is set apart by God. Number three, David knows that he is loved, and it's the main objective of his life. Number five, David's leadership has a different spirit. Okay, so when David faces Goliath, he goes out to the battle, and what happens is that you've got, he goes out, he doesn't even go out, like his dad isn't saying, I want you to go help your brothers in the battle. No, again, he's in that position of, I want you to be the bread runner. You know, he was basically Uber Eats for the battle, you know, and he's like, take them food and cheese because they're hungry, but you stay away from all of the big, scary guys. Why? Because his father didn't even believe that he had the strength, the fortitude, the, the integrity. He didn't, he didn't even know who his own son was in his heart. He did not understand, and so he comes upon this scene where you've got Goliath who's mocking the, uh, the, the, uh, Saul's army, 
And uh, he, so he saw this battle through the eyes of the Lord and not through the eyes of the circumstance. Goliath accuses the army of Israel by saying to them, am I not a Philistine and you are the servants of Saul? And so he begins to speak over them that they are servants of Saul. Now think about the mentality of that. So, so their mentality and what's being spoken over them is that they actually serve the king. They're servants. They're serving a man. Remember what was spoken over Saul? That Saul's, Saul, his, even though the anointing has already left Saul by this point, right? David's already king and the anointing is on him. But Saul doesn't care. And so Saul's there. He's a people pleaser. And so here you've got the servants. He's made all of these people war for him. David is not in the army. David comes upon the scene and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of the living God? He's like, this is not Saul's army. This is the army of the living God. And this, I have a righteous indignation rising up in me. How dare you? Therefore I go in. He was motivated because he had a different spirit. So therefore he saw differently. Beloved, I'm telling you that if you are connecting with God in the secret place, if you know that you've been set apart by God for God and God alone, then you're going to begin to see the things of the earth and the circumstances the way that God sees them and not the way man sees them. But if you believe that you have been set apart by God to serve God, alone and not love God, then what happens is that you're going to see the circumstances of the earth as impossible. Oh, that's good, Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> Just let that marinate. You'll get it. You'll get it. It's happening. <laughs> the engines are turning. So it says that Saul and his army heard the words of Goliath and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Um, now, these are the guys of battle. These are the men of war, okay? But David said, again, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He knew that the Lord, he had the Lord's favor because he had the testimony of the Lord. The Lord had already prepared him for battle by bringing the lion and bringing the um, bear. So he'd already wrestled with these two animals. You know, I can't even imagine that the kind of strength. It would have to be a supernatural strength. So again, you know, he's testing. He'd been tested in the wilderness. He'd been tested in the place where all he had was, was love and a slingshot. But that's all you need. Now, what, what did I have when I healed that woman? I didn't heal her. The Lord healed her. But what did I have? I had, I, I was like looking at her saying, who are you, demon? You have, you are now taunting this woman and you have to go. So a righteous indignation rises up in me and I'm angry. I'm like, you've got to leave her. You've got to leave her alone. You've stolen her life. I'm moved with compassion for her because I'm like, I'm not letting this stay. This cannot stay. Not on my watch. So David goes on in and he does the most incredible thing after, of course, being mocked by his brother, Eliab. You know he got a talking to when he got to heaven. The Lord was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so he goes, to put on, uh, he goes to put on Saul's armor. You know the story. So it didn't fit, you know, all clanky. So it's like, I'm a little guy and you're a big guy and, you know, I can't drag this stuff around. So what does he do? He does what he knows. 
He does what he knows. He, he knows his identity in God. He knows that he's one with God. He scoops up those five stones. He walks up to this, this, uh, this giant who then begins to mock him. And he's like, look, you shut your mouth. You're about to die. And I will take your head. Come on. And he doesn't slow down. He walks. He walks. He walks. He walks. He gets that stone and he throws it. Bam. Right in the middle of the guy's head. He drops dead. He takes his sword. Doesn't even have a sword. All he has is a stone. So he takes his sword, cuts off his head with his own sword, and then takes it to Saul. Amen? That's what I call leadership right there. So he had a leadership that was different. You don't have to have a title to be a leader. Most really good leaders don't rest or rely on a title. They are naturally a leader because they know who they are. They know who they serve. Their identity is in Christ, not in a title. Uh, next, number six, Davidic leadership displays leadership before titles. Oh my gosh, it was like I was just saying that. It's crazy. <laughs> Uh, the, Bible, uh, the Bible says, it, when, he, when, it, when he talks about David, it says over and over again. So he's coming, you know, Saul's like, hmm, this guy might be able to serve me. I might, he might be able to help me. And he was all about David and still they started singing that song. <laughs> you know, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul's like, what? Spirit of jealousy. Anyway, so then um, Saul began to plot David's demise, and he did it by saying, okay, I'm going to send him out. I'm going to make him fight all of these Philistines, and they're going to kill him. I mean, I understand he had that whole thing with, with, the, um, with the stone, but what are the odds? What are going to happen when he actually has to fight like normal men, right? So he starts to send him out, and he says, okay, you have to kill whatever, 600 men. I mean, that's a lot right? I mean, if you ever try to pick up one of these swords, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. They are so heavy. So he's wielding this sword. And of course, he's not a big guy. So it's a supernatural strength that comes on him. Man, that anointing, guys, you got to get the anointing. All day long, you become like a superhero. So, so it says this, every time Saul would send him out to do something, it said, and David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. Then, uh, then in uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 30, then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Now, guys, this is before, beloved, this is before he became king. So what's happening? He's developing a reputation among the mighty men. He's developing a reputation and they're all like, that guy, he kills giants. That guy is somebody I want to follow. Look at the wisdom on him. Everything he does is excellent. But yet he's not prideful. We want to follow him. And so he, the, the, it says that the um, kind of the wayward and the lonely and uh, the, the reprobates began to follow him. And so he began to have this mighty army, but they were mighty armies of orphans, you know? It's like the, what was that? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the toy of misfit toys, the island of mis misfit. So it was basically the misfits of Israel began to follow him. So it was like Australia, you know, everybody who England didn't want, they sailed off to Australia. Sorry, Bethany. Where are you? 
Yeah, okay. Anyway, um, okay, so that's number six. David's leadership displays leadership before titles. Five? I don't have them numbered on here. I know, right? I have them numbered, but I don't have them numbered. Come on. <laughs> Work with me. It was a late night. <laughs> All right. Um, awesome. Thank you. Davidic leadership is not presumptive. First um, Samuel 23, 2. Here's what David did. David never went in. He never went to battle, even though it looked obvious, you know. Um, he never did anything unless he asked the Lord first. Well, except for that whole Bathsheba thing, and we'll talk about that later next week. So this is what it says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, something that I think is very interesting, because David wanted to make double, double duty sure. Did it just get dark in here? Oh, right. Okay. Um, thank you. So, so David not only wanted to inquire upon the Lord and he heard his voice, but then he did something that was really remarkable. He asked the priest to bring him the linen ephod with all of the stones on it. And he said, I want to inquire upon the Lord with the linen ephod. Well, what happens with these stones is that they would light up like, burr, 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 burr. you know, it was kind of cool, like, like, like a computer almost. And so the Lord would speak through these stones, and he would tell them what to do. And so the Lord, again, confirmed his words through the, the linen ephod. And I love that, because for me, that just says, this guy is, he's, he's not trusting his own thinking and his own wisdom, but even though he was wiser than all the other men in that time, and all these men were following him because his wisdom, he still didn't trust in his own wisdom. He, listen to what I'm saying to you. This is huge. You could heal the sick. You could raise the dead. You can cast out demons. But the minute that you step out in your own understanding and you begin to presume upon God, I will guarantee you, you will fall into a pit. And the Lord's like, oops, how'd you get down there? Did you forget to ask me? I try so hard. Sometimes I forget. I try so hard to ask him first. Do you want me? And I, it's with even the little things. Do you want me to bind up this demon? Do you want me to, you know, take authority over this? I mean, these are spiritual things as well as natural things. And I, John and I pray about everything. We try so hard just to say, God, what do you want us to do? Because your way is the best way. And I don't, I'm too old to go the wrong direction. <laughs> I don't want to go around that mountain again. Because, you know, I'm like, give me a motorcycle or something. I don't know. But it's, but, but it's better just to ask and then go his way than to go your way and have to turn around and come back. Amen? So those are um, some numbers of, 
Y'all need to pray for me. So one of my daughters was sick yesterday. John and I woke up at 4.30 a.m. to go take care of her. And then uh, my other daughter called me, and my granddaughter had to be taken to the hospital late last night. And I was there until 3 a.m. So I was pretty much up for 24 hours. But, uh, yeah, but everybody's on their way to being healed in Jesus' name, right? So I'm casting out demons, and it's fun. But exhausting. David is such a great example of how to live. But more than that, right now, God is on a Davidic people. He's looking for a Davidic people. He's looking for a people that are going to release a sound, that are going to carry a sound, that are going to harness a sound. And it's the sound of what's going on up in heaven, the sound of what's going on in the throne room. It is a sound that the earth has been crying out for. And if you don't start making it, even the stones will cry out. They will start to make the sound because they've got the sound in them. And so it's time for us to begin to get ourselves in alignment with what heaven is wanting to do so we can release the sound. And when we start releasing the sound, the city's going to change. The city's going to change. The people are going to get healed. The demons are going to go screaming like, I will not go. And they'll make that funny sound. But, they, but they'll hear the sound of heaven in you. And the demons will say, oh, you know, they won't say to you like you're the sons of Sceva. They'll say, oh, okay, we know who you are. Because we hear the sound. Because we know that you went to get the sound. We know that you've laid your life down for the sound. We know that you know God. In a way that is intimate and connected. Therefore, we have to go. All right, so let's stand. Let's stand.